Welcome to the Mass Bar B Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association, available free to members of the Bar Association as well as the public. We feature lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about MBA members, and helpful practical information about the law that matters to all of us. I'm Jordan Rich, and today we offer part one of a two-part series on judicial rules with attorney Thomas Bond, chair of the Judicial Administration Council of the MBA. And we're first going to focus on the judicial rules in the federal court system. Tom, welcome to the Mass Bar Beat podcast, and uh, thanks for joining us. We have a lot to cover today. So let's get started with a look at the rules in federal court. How complicated do these have to be? Can we simplify them for people here today? We certainly can, and that's what I aim to do today. So where do we begin? What's the first step? I think the first thing to know is that in the federal court, you don't ask forgiveness, you ask permission. So if you want to do something that's a little different than the rules, you know, ask the judge first. It's not like in state court where they're a little more forgiving. A series of etiquette rules that apply that are very important. I guess if you're a seasoned attorney, you've been through the process, you know about these things. But if you're a new attorney at this, somebody, you know, recently graduated or somebody about to step up, sounds daunting at first. It's a, it's a little more formal. You know, you get to court at the time that you're supposed to mm-hmm. be called. You're called then. But getting back to your original question, Jordan, it's the local rules, which you can find at the federal court website. If you go there and if you look at those local rules and follow them to a T, you'll be okay. Let's you start know? with some of the more important ones. You, you mentioned the forgiving process and the requesting and all that, but it sounds like promptness and being on time and being ready is key as it is in life. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll give you an example. And sometimes you learn the hard way. When I started out, The rules required you to file an opposition to a motion within 10 days. Well, I needed an extra day, so I talked to opposing counsel. I said, can I have another day? It was fine. So it was a summary judgment motion. When it came time for the hearing, which was three weeks later, the judge came out onto the bench, red-faced, and immediately said to me, why should I hear this motion? Because your opposition was a day late. So I said, well, judge, I said, you know, Attorney Smith said it was okay. I called Attorney Smith, and I figured this was three weeks ago. It wouldn't have mattered. The judge was irate. He, he looked on a list in front of his desk. He said, oh, he says, I don't see a judge on my list named Attorney Smith. He said, you know, <laughs> is there? And he said to the clerk, bring this over to Attorney Bond. And Mr. Bond, is there anywhere on there where you see a judge named Attorney Smith? And it, it's a, a daunting experience for a young lawyer. So you're talking the importance of knowing the hierarchy. The judge, the all-ruling judge, the all-important judge, has to be the man or the woman that you go to first. Yeah, And if you ask them, you know, most of them are very, very reasonable. And, right. and they'll give you what you want, but just ask ahead of time. So. Okay. You often have to do it in writing, or can you do it orally in the case? Oh, oh, you have to do it in writing. Okay. So is there a combination of the two that you would do? I mean, oral followed up by written or written first or what? I would, first of all, check with the other side. You're required to do so under the rules anyhow. But then I would email the clerk and ask if it has to be done in writing. Okay. uh, And then follow the clerk's prompt. In my investigation and my research, uh, I see the word clerk, and I know how important that role is, too. I mean, that's a key player in all this. It is. The beauty in the federal court, Jordan, though, is that it's the same clerk and the same judge from the beginning of the case right through to the end. So um, it's a little easier to pin down and get things done that way. We're going to talk about initial pleadings, I see. Tell me why that's important to know about. It's important because you've got to sign up originally for electronic filing. Everything in the federal court is done electronically, unlike Mm -hmm. the state court. So 
if you go onto the federal court website, uh, you sign up for it, and they actually have someone that will teach you how to do it if you haven't done it before. That's very important. Many people get confused handling things on the web, so that's mm-hmm. important. These are important documents. All right, so let's talk a little bit about some of the other issues that are under that heading. I notice it says complaints and service and waiver of service, things like that, that are important for attorneys to know about. They've got a very simple way. Instead of sending a complaint out to a sheriff, Jordan, what you do is you send a certified letter to the person you're going to be suing with two copies of the complaint. And essentially, the the letter that you send to them, and again, it's on the website, says you're being sued, accept service. If you don't, then we'll send the sheriff and you'll end up having to pay. Mm Mm-hmm. Very important to follow these processes, no question about it. What's the biggest mistake that, I'm going to say, a rookie, a newbie would make when walking into federal court? You've seen it all. I mean, you've been there, and you give (laughs) lectures on this subject. What what would be some of the biggest faux pas? I I think not knowing the rules, in in simple rules, uh, signing a client's name instead of signing yourself, Mm -hmm. for example. Judges will sanction you for that. Take us through some other important issues here that you have for us. One of the differences, Jordan, between the federal court and the state court is in the federal court, you get to plan your own calendar of events. Uh, It's not like in the state court, you file the complaint, you get what they call a tracking order. So the court basically puts you into one of three categories. In the federal court, you get to ask the court for certain dates. And then you have a scheduling conference and the court most of the time will agree with you. So you get, after you file the complaint, you get a notice of a scheduling conference. And you actually have to go in and talk to the judge, and you plan the events that are going to happen in your case. Before you do, though, there are certain things you have to do. One of them is you have to file all your medicals. Not file, you have to send to the other side. Uh, You have to make a settlement demand to the other side. And then you have to send out documents, uh, lists of documents to the other side. It is four categories. It's called an automatic document disclosure. You've got to basically show your cards, tell them what you have. It's witnesses, your documents, damages, and insurance, mm-hmm. right? Now, none of those are filed. The other two categories are the joint scheduling statement. So you have to plan with the other side what the events in the case are going to be. And then you have to certify that you've discussed litigation costs and ADR alternative dispute resolution with the other side. A lot of interaction then with the opposing counsel, isn't there? They want you to meet early. Right. um, Look at your case early and analyze it. This is what we have. This is what we'll need. And if you have any disputes with opposing counsel, bring it up at the actual settlement. And and as you say, Tom, this is part of the rule structure to to move things along more smoothly. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. We're continuing to talk with Thomas Bond about the federal court rules and the basics, the ABCs. Let's talk about discovery. Discovery is pretty similar in terms of you send out interrogatories, document requests. There are 25 interrogatories. They have in the local rules uniform definitions on such terms as what does a communication mean? What does a document mean? What does the word identify mean? Mm. What does the word concerning mean? But this is very helpful. There has to be some standard in the court that decrees this is what it is. So everyone's playing on the same field. Yeah, and you don't quibble over little inconsequential matters like, you know, what do you mean by that? You <laughs> right. know, it's uh, the court has said this is what that means when you use that word. Okay, so makes sense. And then we get to motions, and now the court is in action. You're in action. What are you doing with motions? What you do in state court, Jordan, is you send your motion to the other side. The other side responds to it. 
sends it back to you and you file the whole package in court. Federal court is different. You file directly electronically with the court. When you file, though, you have to file a certification saying, I spoke to the other side, I tried to work this out, and I couldn't. You know, So we had a conference on such and so day, could not resolve our issues. And it, it's called a, uh, a Rule 7.1 certificate. And, and just to tell the court that I tried to work this out, Judge, and I couldn't do it. You find, before we go to the next step, that it really makes sense to to be organized, obviously, but to really have a good working knowledge of these rules, because it makes life so much easier for you and your client. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast today, isn't it? It does. And if you don't know them, uh, you'll learn the hard way. <laughs> you'll learn the hard way. You'll get the, uh, the judge on your case, no question about that. And I'll just point out, Jordan, while I'm thinking of it, is that I have on the MBA website also, I've got federal forms I've got samples of the forms, and I've got filing instructions, so I'm not giving you all the numbers on things. Just refer to those. I break down everything in two pages, tell you what needs to be filed with the court, what doesn't need to be filed with the court, and I'll give you the time. So I'll save you guys a lot of time. (laughs) Thank you very much. I know our listeners appreciate that. So now we're getting into something that we call the heading is reasonably calculated. And I read this in advance, and I have... To say, I'm curious to see what this is all about. This is, you know, the conventional rule is what do you have to produce to the other side? Uh, The conventional rule has been if it's something is reasonably calculated to lead to the discovery of admissible evidence, you have to produce it. A couple of years ago, the federal court changed that and they said, no, 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 you don't have to do that anymore. They fine-tuned it a little bit, Mm -hmm. uh, made it tougher. So... I liken it to reasonably calculate, show us your cards, show us your hand you know, in discovery. Now, the scope of discovery is limited in the federal court, um, so it's no longer show us your hand. It's almost become sort of like a, a lock vault. The discovery you seek has to be relevant and proportional to the case. So if you have a $10,000 case, maybe the judge is not going to be as lenient in what you can recover, mm. whereas if you have... A $10 million case. I love the fact Uh, that, and people can see this when they see you delivering one of your seminars or perhaps on the website, they can see the vault, (laughs) a picture of a vault. It it really helps. I know it sounds silly to say this, but it really helps to have this stuff sort of laid out in easy to understand English as you're doing now and also in images because it's daunting. I keep using that word to think about all the rules and regulations and Mm -hmm. you don't want to trip up if you're an attorney. You want to get things done logistically correct. It makes you look bad if you do. It sure so. <laughs> does, I can imagine. <laughs> so in, in addition, you know, court looks at what's the case worth? How important is this particular issue? What are the party's resources? The importance of the discovery and resolving the issues and whether the burden of getting this information outweighs its likely benefit. So for example, if it's sort of a irrelevant issue or a semi-relevant issue, you wouldn't ask a corporation to spend $300,000 going through their computer files. A judge is going to say, no, that's, Mm. you know, whereas in the state court, it's a little bit different. And we'll be talking about the state court rules as well on another podcast, on a second part of this podcast series. There are so many rules and regulations, but uh, these are the basics. What is next on our menu list? One of the issues, Jordan, is when someone loses evidence, whether it's accidentally or accidentally on purpose or intentionally, (laughs) it's a little bit different in the federal court under the rule, uh, new rule 37E. If the item is lost, whether it's electronic or if it's, you know, tangible evidence, if it's unintentional and 
it's not really prejudicial. The court can't dismiss the case and say, you know, you spoliated the evidence, you spoiled it. The court can give you a measure no greater than to cure the prejudice. So maybe uh, he'll give a jury instruction saying, you know, you may consider the fact that this evidence was lost uh, as evidence of guilt. But obviously, negligence. you have to prove that this was negligent or whatever. It, it was it was a mistake. It was an accident. Sure. It wasn't done on purpose. Exactly. That's very important. Okay. So those are the uh, sort of the finer points on the federal rules of evidence. Some of the benefits of the federal court is you get the same judge and clerk. Uh, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, whereas in the state court, sometimes you go in, and each time you go in, you get a different judge, mm -hmm. a different clerk. You can usually get a trial on a case in a year, and, uh, and they will push for mediation. They do enforce the discovery rules. So if you think that your opponent is going to be obstinate, you've got a better chance in the federal court, I think, of a judge enforcing the discovery rules than otherwise. So if you follow what I had indicated to you and you follow the local rules to a T, there won't be lightning strikes and dark clouds ahead <laughs> for you. It will be sunny skies and the road will rise up to meet you. These are also available on the MassBar website, MassBar.org, in written form. So if you want to get more details, and like you say, those forms, those electronic mm -hmm. forms, they're sample forms so people can see how they're supposed to be filled out. Exactly. That's very helpful. As you go through your work in the federal system, and you've been doing it for a lot of years, uh, you probably see things that still surprise you. In general, to wrap up, code of conduct, just keep your ears open as well as your mind when you do this kind of work. It's a little more formal. You know, make sure you completely stand up when you're addressing the court. You know, don't call the judge. Judge, mm -hmm. uh, you know, your honor is, is okay. obviously much okay. better. You know, don't call the court you, you know, the court. Mm -hmm. you refer to the judges. Certain formality. Absolutely. And not to mention the fact that you want to look your best. Sure. Because you're going to court. It's still a place where mm -hmm. proper attire is in vogue, correct? Wear your best suit. <laughs> Tom, thank you. You've been so helpful. And there's so much more that we're going to be doing to help people uh, through the process. But really appreciate your time. Beautiful. Thank you, Jordan. Our thanks to attorney Thomas Bond, chair of the Judicial Administration Council of the MBA. You've been listening to the Mass Bar Beat podcast, available free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms, including Apple, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, and more. If you're a consumer in need of legal help, contact the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service by calling 866-627-7577. That number again, 866-627-7577. Or visit masslawhelp.com and let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar Beat is produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association. We invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. This is Jordan Rich thanking you for listening.